What does PTSD look like in women? You're just in time. Come on in. Let's talk about it. My name is Leah Huggins. I'm a wife, a mother, and a proud U.S. Navy veteran. After two tours to Iraq, my husband was diagnosed with PTSD. My world spiraled out of control as fear, anxiety, doubt, and depression took over. I gave my life to Christ, took on a new mindset, and let go of the negativity of my past. I now help wives to find healing, encouragement, and strategy to overcome the effects of PTSD on their daily lives and in their marriage. So come on in and let's talk about it. Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. This is the place where we empower women to support their spouse through PTSD without losing themselves in the process. I'm your host, Coach Leah, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. All right, so today, y'all, we are going deep, all right? We're gonna talk about what PTSD looks like in women, okay? I just wanna have a real transparent conversation with you about what you experience when you're going through PTSD, all right? Sometimes we don't know that we're experiencing PTSD because we don't know the signs and the symptoms of it, all right? We shrug it off and we think that it's just circumstantial, you know, but deep inside, it's really an issue that needs to be addressed so that you can heal from it and be able to manage it effectively. So as you know, this show is all about helping women to support their spouse through PTSD, all right? But don't get it twisted. Don't think that this can't happen to you, all right? Don't think that you can't be affected by being this close up and hands-on with somebody that's going through a real struggle, all right? So we did an episode about secondary PTSD. And if you haven't listened to it, um, or even if you have, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it again, because many times you end up hearing something that you might've missed the last time. All right. And it can bless you in this moment that you're going through right now. So you never know. So go back and check out the show. Secondary PTSD is also known as compassion fatigue or secondary traumatic stress. All right. It's usually something that's common uh, among caregivers and other professionals that work closely with someone that survived trauma. Um, Just think of it as the wife, you are the one that's closest to your husband. All right. You're there with him while he's going through these things and you see the changes that begin to happen with his mood. And you're seeing these harmful and destructive behaviors that he's resorted to these as a means to cope with what he's going through emotionally. And you're the one that's there to pick up the pieces. And over time, it can be a lot to deal with. So one thing about PTSD, um, I say this all the time, PTSD affects the whole house, not just the person that's going through it or the one that's experienced the trauma. All right. So as a wife, while your spouse is having their moment, you're the one that's right there to walk him through it. All right. And you may be experiencing all the emotions that come along with what he's going through. It's a roller coaster. You have extremely high moments and then you have really low moments. All right. It's going to be extreme either way you go. 
So we just had an air show where I live. All right. The Thunderbirds just performed. That's the group with the Air Force. If you don't know, I absolutely love air shows. Okay. To me, it's the closest you can get to being a superhero. Okay. The way that they maneuver those planes, all those tricks and the flips and the acrobatics in the air, they're making heart designs in the air. And it's, it's just the coolest thing to me. All right. And I'm a little bit partial now being a Navy girl because nobody can top my blue angels. Okay. <laughs> but the Thunderbirds did great. But what I love about the air show is that before they actually get started, you know, they let the news come out and they talk to them. And sometimes you, they get a tour of the plane. And I remember this one time, this was years ago, I watched the newscast where the reporter actually got to ride with them. So what happened is, is that the plane takes off and as soon as it leaves the runway, boom, it hits this 90 degree angle and it shoots straight up, <laughs> straight up in the sky. OK, the G force on this thing, it had to be, you know, it's phenomenal. It, it had to be all the way up, <laughs> whatever the highest G force number is. OK, so when the G force hits, the reporter ends up passing out. <laughs> OK, and then the plane ends up leveling out and then the reporter wakes back up. And then all of a sudden, boom, they take a nosedive straight down <laughs> and the reporter is gone again. He passed out. All right. So this is kind of like what it's like when you're helping someone through PTSD when they're having a moment. OK, the pilot is just fine because they're actually in control. They know how to brace for what's next. Um, but the one that's there just for the ride. Oh, my God. It can be overwhelming if you don't know how to navigate through it. <laughs> Okay, you have to know what to do when you encounter certain situations. You have to be able to recognize certain things in order to know what to do about it. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about understanding the effect that PTSD has on you as a woman. Now, for me, my PTSD did not come about just from helping my husband through his PTSD. All right. It, it was his PTSD that brought the trauma of my past to light. Um, because when I went to seek help for the secondary PTSD, that's when the other trauma was uncovered. So as you guys know, I am former military. I've had several instances of trauma throughout my military service. You know, I've been in hostile environments. I've had to do uh, recovery in a plane crash. I've been sexually uh, harassed. I have faced racism, sexism, discrimination. I've been passed over for promotions. I've been completely disrespected, um, having water thrown in my face. You know, I can remember being sexually harassed by a guy in my unit. And it and I took it to my supervisor and he didn't take me seriously. You know, he didn't do anything. He told me basically I was overreacting and shrugged it off. Oh, you just, you know, he's he's not gonna do nothing. He's harmless. He doesn't mean anything. So what I ended up doing was I told my husband about it. He was my boyfriend at the time. We weren't married, <laughs> but I told my husband about it. And all I know is that they went for a walk. And when he came back, that dude didn't say nothing else to me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say nothing else for the whole time I was there. He didn't even look my direction. <laughs> All right. But the point is, is that I shouldn't have had to have my boyfriend to deal with the issue, especially, you know, if I took it to the supervisor for them to handle, I felt like I was unprotected and vulnerable at that moment. That should have been something that that supervisor took care of, but they didn't. 
So in the military, I worked in the construction field. All right. It was mainly made up of white men. So this meant that I was a double minority. I was a woman. And on top of that, I was a black woman. All right. I saw a lot. I experienced a lot. I endured a lot. I went through it, y'all. <laughs> I went through it. So the years go by and I get out of the military. And as with anything, you know, I didn't realize any signs right away. You know, I am a dreamer, so I would always have these dreams and they were nightmares. Most times, you know, they were like movies. I was always in some kind of danger, always running from something or someone. I was always hiding and trying to stay alive. I had dreams that, you know, I was in a car or a truck and I couldn't get control of it because it was moving. It was always veering off towards a cliff or, you know, some point of danger. And my husband would tell me sometimes that I would talk in my sleep or that I would wake up yelling and calling out for something or someone that I would see in my dream. A lot of times I would have trouble sleeping, like I would be so tired and then I would go to bed, but then I couldn't go to sleep or I may end up staying up overnight and not actually having had any sleep at all. So I would be up for 24 to 48 hours, you know, with barely no sleep, no rest. I would have these really bad, uh, intrusive thoughts, you know, especially if I saw the news or I read a story about somebody that was hurt. And then I would have these thoughts and visions where I would be in the place of the person that got hurt. And I was there experiencing whatever it was that they went through, through their eyes, you know, just as they had gone through it. Like it was in my head, but it seemed so real. You know, I started to develop a fear of going to certain places and doing certain things. And to this day, like I don't do crowds. I don't do parades. I don't like being around a bunch of people in close quarters. All right. It's, it's totally different for me. You know, I was never claustrophobic before, but I found myself having panic attacks or, you know, anxiety attacks was I was when I was in close quarters. All right. One time I had to do an MRI. <laughs> it was the worst thing ever because they were there to check for, you know, tumors in my brains because I was having it, not my brains, but tumors in my brain because I was having these headaches. And so they covered my head and they had these guards around either side of my head. So I wouldn't turn my head left or right. And they closed another guard on top of my head and I could feel my breath on my face. <laughs> and that freaked me out. OK, it took them forever to get that MRI done because I had to keep stopping and starting. But anyway, that was a new fear that was unlocked. <laughs> so I began to have these panic attacks when I would go do everyday things like, you know, going to work or going to church. I would have a panic attack in the car like I couldn't catch my breath. I would have these overwhelming um, feelings, you know, that I didn't want to be there. My stomach would be in knots or I'd have the bubble guts or I'd be gassy or, you know, I'd have to go to the bathroom frequently. You know, I always say I'm a nervous peer. <laughs> okay. When I get nervous, I have to pee. I know that's a lot of information. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's true. You know, that's my reality. I know I'm not the only one. All right. I was also sad a lot of the time and you have to be careful with depression because everybody has things that they're going to go through that's going to make them sad. But there are some times when there's nothing wrong, there would be nothing wrong. And I would feel this overwhelming sense of sadness. You know, the heavy, it's, it's like a heaviness that I can't explain. You know, I, I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. I just felt sad. 
And there was actually a time not too long ago where like Saturdays, for some reason, that would be my day to cry like clockwork. Every Saturday, I would cry the whole day and nobody knew that I was crying. And if they did catch me, I'd be like, oh, no, it's my allergies. (laughs) You know, I'm just I'm just tired. I just yawned and my eyes are watering, you know, anything to make them think that I was really okay. All right. But I just didn't want them to know that I was crying. And I didn't want them to know that I was crying because I didn't know why I was crying for myself. (laughs) I couldn't explain it. You know, I felt um, lonely. That was one thing that I dealt with. Um, I can remember praying and asking God to send me some friends because I felt so alone. And what's so crazy is that I would always get invitations to go places or to do things, go hang out with people. But I never (laughs) went because I was suffering with social anxiety. So I didn't want to be around people. But then I'd be sad that I didn't have anybody to sit with. You know, I didn't have anybody with me. I didn't have anybody uh, to be with me. So I sit around and cry because I was lonely. So you see how the devil will mess around in your head. (laughs) He'll get you all messed up. So in those moments, I was feeling like, you know, nobody loved me or nobody really cared about me, just the things that I could do for them, you know, and I felt this overwhelming feeling of loneliness and I was in isolation to protect myself. Essentially, that's what it was. So common sense says that if I'm sitting there crying all day on a Saturday, you know, I'm not getting any work done. (laughs) So my house began to suffer. Um, My house was constantly a mess, like dishes and laundry in the bathroom. It was all a mess. And then my husband and I would be fighting about who's going to clean it up. Uh, We would fight about the kids because they were old enough to clean up themselves, but they weren't. They were teenagers. So, of course, they weren't trying to do any chores. And that became a fight between my husband and I, you know, and then my parenting skills weren't questioned. (laughs) All right. So if you want to fight, okay, give me some unsolicited parenting advice. Okay. Don't tell me what I could be doing better as a mother when I'm struggling to keep my head above water. Okay. It's just not the time. It's just not the time. (laughs) All right. But needless to say, things with my husband, they weren't going great. And I've said this before, if things in other rooms of the house aren't going great, then you can't expect for things in the bedroom to be great either. All right. So what happens in the bedroom is affected by what goes on outside of the bedroom. All right. So we weren't communicating. We weren't having sex. We were fighting all the time. And now there's this divide in our relationship. All right. And what does that do? That opens the door for the enemy. Okay. So now we're both looking at each other with a side eye, wondering what the other one has got going on. All right. Now we got trust issues in our relationship. All right. I don't know if you've been there before, but it's not a good feeling. Okay. Um, So while I'm going through all this, it's actually further triggering him in his condition and it's pushing him more to those self-destructive behaviors that I mentioned before, okay? And the excessive drinking would lead to fights between us and we just had some long, hard nights that we had to go through. And the issues that I was having at home, they eventually leaked into the relationships I had that were outside of the home, all right? So most of the time I thought everybody was against me. I thought um, everybody was out to get me, (laughs) Okay, I had trouble connecting with people, and this led to a divide in my relationships, you know, with people at work, at home, and even at church. 
I became disconnected. Um, I began to withdraw myself and I ended up gaining a ton of weight. Okay. Stress eating, (laughs) sitting on the couch, crying and depressed. You know, I began to have other problems with my health. You know, I suffered, um, And I still suffer from these debilitating migraine headaches. You know, when your mental state begins to affect your physical state, it adds a whole nother layer to that issue. Okay. Have you checked out the PTSD Wives Handbook? This book is for the wife whose spouse has survived trauma and is now navigating through mood swings, flashbacks, and mishandled emotions. PTSD can create a toxic home environment and cause a divide in the closest and most meaningful relationships. As a caretaker, the PTSD wife is finding herself at the receiving end of anger, aggression, and constant negativity. This can create a personal, mental, and spiritual health crisis for her. In this book, Coach Leah uncovers the hidden wounds of trauma and the effects that it can have on your relationship. Based on biblical principles, she teaches you the tools and resources that are needed to handle stressful situations and to seek help from the Lord and foster a deeper relationship with Him. By reading this book and putting the principles into action, you're gonna learn how to take control of your life and grab hold of the power that lies within. Grab your copy of the PTSD Wives Handbook today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. So along with the headaches, I began to get sick a lot. You know, I was, um, I easily get sick. I I always say I need to live in a bubble (laughs) because I would pick up germs easily. And then I'd always have, you know, a cold or dealing with sinus issues. And it was because my body had began to break down from all the stress that I was under. And all of that started in my mind with the way that I spoke to myself and the way the negative thoughts, you know, that I carried in my mind and I didn't challenge them. I would find it hard to concentrate and focus on the things that I was working on. You know, I would lose interest. I couldn't finish anything that I started. Um, I found that I kept putting things off that I needed to do. And it wasn't because I was lazy. It was because nine times out of 10, I had just finished completing what it was I was supposed to have done in the first place. And then I needed rest. (laughs) All right. What I lacked was energy and time. All right. When I had the time, I, I couldn't find the energy. And when I had the energy, I didn't have the time. All right. It was a cycle. So I had already learned how to schedule my time and I had learned how to break the things up that I have to do. But I still found myself overwhelmed and burned out because I couldn't catch up. I was always behind. All right. So severe depression like this will have you in a state of mind where you're not able to take care of yourself. And sometimes when things get really bad, you know, I would go for days without showering or getting dressed. You know, I just couldn't do for myself. But if I had somewhere to go, then I can get up and get dressed and nobody ever knew what was, you know, what I was going through. I could wear a mask real good. Okay. I put on that mask and make it seem like everything was okay. (laughs) but inside everything was really falling apart. All right. I call this being a functional depressant. (laughs) I was functioning in my dysfunction. So I did some research and I found that women experience a higher rate of PTSD than men do. Women are two times more likely than men to develop PTSD. All right. Now there's some biological factors that go into this. (laughs) 
<laughs> that make us more vulnerable to PTSD. All right. To begin with, let's just be honest. We're more emotional. <laughs> okay. Admit it, ladies. Ladies are more emotional. Now, I don't mean this in, in a negative way. I mean, look at our cycles, our menstrual cycles. You know, hormones can get the best of us and they can have us all over the place. All right. We're led by our emotions and we make decisions based on our feelings. So this is why they call it a woman's intuition. We feel things. And that's why we can sense when something is not right. Because what? We feel things. <laughs> a lot of times women are either late to be diagnosed or they don't accept that they're suffering. We don't accept that what we're going through is actually a mental condition. We may chalk it up to just being one of them days, like uh, the psalmist Monica saying. <laughs> it's just one of them things that we go through. I'm angry inside and I don't want to take it out on you, okay? Don't take it personal. <laughs> you know how it goes. But that's the problem with keeping things bottled up inside. It never stays inside. It always finds its way out. And it can affect you mentally and physically, and it can affect your relationships. Now, another reason why we don't report what's going on with us is that we don't have time to deal with our emotional health. All right. We have too much going on. We're trying to be the breadwinner, the mother, the doctor, the accountant, the chef, the CEO, the CFO, the judge and the jury and the best wife ever all at the same time. <laughs> our plate is too full. Studies show that women are more stressed than men, 50% more stressed. As a matter of fact, women these days are most likely juggling a career, their marriage, motherhood, their home life, and even caring for an elderly parent. So we have this thing about being a strong woman and I get it. We want to be strong. We need to be strong. But as with everything, there is a limit. Strong women get tired too. We get tired of holding the weight of the world on our shoulders. We get tired of carrying the burden, not just of our own issues, but of everyone else's as well. We're nurturers. You know, we take care of things. We want to make sure that everything and everyone around us is okay. Even if it means sometimes to our own detriment where we're not taking care of ourselves like we should. We spend so much time and energy tending to the needs and the desires of everybody else that when it comes time to use it for ourselves, we have absolutely nothing left in our tank. And who's there to refill it? You can't keep pouring out and thinking that you'll have enough to sustain you because it's not. This is where stress comes in. All right. Now, men and women deal with stress in different ways. All right. The MO for men when it comes to stress is usually fight or flight. <laughs> okay. With women, we want to treat and nurture. We want to make sure it all works out and that it comes to a sensible resolution. All right. Let me tell you something. Stress is going to trigger all of your negative emotions. Okay. There's fear, anxiety, anger, depression, guilt, and shame, everything. All right. It actually opens you up to a spiritual attack, dealing with these issues and having to meet deadlines and facing challenging issues in your relationship. All right. Just the pressure of living everyday life. It can be stressful. Stress has to do with anxiety and anxiety is connected to fear. And it's fear that activates these responses in your body, like a panic attack and depression and brain fog can lead to these intrusive thoughts and ideas that come to your mind. And that is what sets off the chain reaction in your body that can lead to more problems. 
guilt and depression are both byproducts of trauma and they're associated with an increase in the rate of suicide among survivors. This is why I say that PTSD is a gateway. Like I say, it's a spiritual issue, but it can lead to serious mental conditions and even a medical emergency. Trauma increases a person's risk for self-harm. There's a shame and a guilt and a self-hate that comes along with it. All right. For instance, in the case of rape, a woman may try to make herself unattractive to men because she doesn't want attention from them. She may blame herself and she can take on destructive behaviors as a way to cope. Okay, there's there's alcohol and, and, and drugs and she may even do the opposite. She may become promiscuous, you know, because of what she went through. You know, in a sense, she may feel like she's trying to get the power back by purposely giving herself away and thinking that, you know, she's in control because she's deciding what she does with her body. But basically, it's just a self-defense mode. It's a way to soothe herself. All right. It's a coping mechanism. It numbs her mind from the pain of the trauma that she experienced. The rate of suicide is higher in women with PTSD than those without it. Trauma goes on in your mind well after the event actually ended. Your mind will play back that event in your head and you'll get flashbacks and intrusive thoughts and, you know, these painful memories. And sometimes you can feel like you're actually there in that place and in that time. You have to know how to get free in your mind from these thoughts. Women also have a 60 percent higher rate of cardiovascular disease than men. So just just think about it. What is the natural reaction of your body when you're under stress? All right. Your heart beats fast. Your pulse quickens. You breathe rapidly. You're at a heightened state of alert. You're on edge and you're nervous. Your head may start to throb. You may get a headache or a migraine. You may have a flashback or you relive in your mind. You know what happened before. Fear is rehearsed. And you can begin to see your fear in your mind and it becomes real to you and you become hyper aroused or, you know, super vigilant. And all of this sets out a chemical reaction in your body. And over time, this can damage your heart, among other things. Stress only causes things to get worse. Now, this problem is something that's serious for everyone, men and women, but it's more serious for women because we're more likely to develop PTSD at a higher rate. And then the rate of suicide among women will become higher as well because we haven't learned to cope with certain stressors or with the things that stress us out. When you go through trauma and you experience PTSD, it's important to know that PTSD may never go away. All right. The things you see and experience, they'll stay with you and it can live forever in your mind. There's always going to be something that will trigger you and it can come out of nowhere. But what you need to know is that it can be managed and the symptoms can be treated. All right. Trauma affects people in different ways and it may take some time for the effect of trauma to show up on that person. But the same trauma may have a different effect on another person. You just never know how it's going to show up. The things that you see and experience, they stay with you. And as I said, it can live on forever in your mind. And that's why it's so important to take control of your thoughts and your emotions and what goes on in your mind, because that's where the battlefield is. The war for your peace is either won or lost right there in your mind.
Self-evaluation and self-care is going to be key in managing your symptoms. All right. You got to learn how to deal with your stress and find ways to limit those things that cause you stress. Keep your stress levels low. Learn to manage those emotions, especially anger. (laughs) All right. So I am what I like to call a Marvel nerd. Okay. (laughs) I love Marvel movies. I love superheroes. All right. Avengers rock. I love my Avengers. I was watching an episode of She-Hulk. I said I wasn't going to watch this show because I was like, it looks so corny, but I actually watched that and ended up really enjoying it. All right. Um, but anyway, um, they're not paying me for that. <laughs> but anyway, so Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk, he is trying to teach his cousin about her new Hulk powers and how to control it. And so many of you know that the Hulk actually turns into the Hulk because he gets in this uncontrollable fit of rage and then he goes and destroys everything. All right. So he tells her he's learned this over time. He tells her that she needs to learn how to tolerate stress and regulate her emotions, especially her anger, so that she doesn't turn into the Hulk at the wrong time. You know, he went through a whole maturing phase where he learned how to do this. And so now it's great. He's got it under control. But she goes on to explain to him, dude, I already know how to do this. (laughs) Basically, she brought up the point. I'm a woman. She said, I have to know how to control my anger because society expects her to. All right. She learned how to control her anger when she's catcalled, you know, or when a man tries to explain her area of expertise to her. All right. She says that if she doesn't control her anger, that she'll be called emotional, or be labeled as uh, difficult to work with, all right? And then she continues on from there. You know, women do a great job of suppressing their emotions, but, you know, to what extent? What is the damage that it can do, all right? It's more socially acceptable for a man to show their emotions, all right? And here's what I mean. You can see a man get angry or frustrated or maybe punch a wall or throw something or maybe get into a fight or an argument with somebody, you know, because after all, that's just what men do, right? (laughs) But for a woman to show emotion, you know, this is frowned upon and she's, you know, labeled just like uh, the lady said in, in the show, you know, she's labeled, she's either angry or bitter or even worse, you know, she's the B word. Okay. And sometimes it may not even be about being upset. You know, it could be that we're just standing up for us ourselves or, you know, something we believe in or something that we're passionate about. All right. But we've been trained by society to hold on to these things and we've learned to suppress our feelings in order not to be judged, but to be accepted. So long story short, we just have to keep our emotions in check. And because we've learned to suppress our feelings, we don't deal with them in the way that we should. And we don't tend to the parts of our soul that need healing. All right. Because we're too busy saving everybody else and tending to everybody else's need. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. PTSD, as I said, it never goes away. You just have to learn how to manage it so it doesn't take over your life. All right. You got to learn how how to replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. All right. Replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Get you some scripture to combat fear. That is the best thing you can do to combat fear, to combat anger, whatever it is that you're going through. Get you some scripture and put it on there. And you say what the opposite of what the devil is telling you. You find the opposite of that in the Bible and, and, and read that and go with that. 
All right. You got to learn to recite affirmations to ground you when you feel yourself slipping into that dark place. All right. By all means, seek professional help. All right. Therapy works, y'all. All right. I saw um, a T-shirt that said Jesus heals, but therapy helps. <laughs> OK, you have to be intentional about your healing. OK, you can build your team, create a circle of people that love you and that want the best for you. OK, get a prayer partner, get you a coach to help you set the goals uh, that you want to achieve. Uh, find an accountability partner for self-care, maybe someone to exercise with or, you know, someone that may help you with battling any kind of addiction you may have. Maybe a spiritual mentor or someone to help you to seek God in all this. You know, as women, we have to learn the art of self-care. And that's just not, you know, taking a hot bath or reading a book or getting your hair and nails done. It actually means taking the time to deal with the issues that are holding you back and weighing you down. All right. It's finding ways to reduce your stress and resolve your issues. You know, whether or not that means finding better ways to communicate um, or building boundaries or, you know, cutting some people off, you know, self-care is actually facing the challenges that seem overwhelming and so frightening. Self-care is simply putting your big girl panties on and dealing with your issues. Okay. <laughs> Self-love and self-care go hand in hand. So for today's coaching moment, the assignment is simple, all right? I want you to find ways to love yourself this week, all right? That's a good assignment, right? <laughs> find something different to do every day that's going to promote self-love and self-care, all right? I want you to get out, go for a walk, take your journal to a park or to the beach or, you know, to some someplace quiet and write a prayer down. Start a new workout routine or uh, start eating better. Create a plan to start eating better. You know, prepare your meals ahead of time. Take an hour or so and dedicate it just to cleaning a certain room in your house or doing a certain chore like your laundry or yard work. The goal is to find ways to reduce stress in your life while tending to your needs. All right. That was easy, wasn't it? That's a good assignment. I like this assignment. So I want to hear all about it, okay? I want to know what you learned, what you got out of it, how it may have helped you, you know? Send me a message on our show page or you can email me or send me a message on any of our social media platforms, okay? You can find me at I am Coach Leah, all right? That's I am Coach Leah. I'll put the link for all of that in the show notes, all right? Well, you guys, that's my time for today. I hope that this episode gave you some hope and some joy and encouraged you to keep on pushing and let you know that everything is going to be all right. That's all for now. But until next time, I want you to be encouraged, be empowered and be blessed. Peace, y'all.